You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 3800 Marlton Pike, Pensacon, New Jersey. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. We've been developing this story so far with Miriam as our prophetess. It's the first Sunday of Advent, and we're remembering the prophets, and Miriam was one of them. So let's think of Advent this way. Advent is this season to lean into our anticipation. Candles, waiting, burning, our longing, our expectation. Jesus is is being born among us and he's changing everything. We are developing our longing as we learn to wait. We're pausing for the drama to unfold again and again. This helps us receive the fullness of the arrival. That's what Advent means, that the beginning of the arrival, the, the, the showing up. And it's, it's, so, sempt- it's so tempting to, to be trying to, to get somewhere all the time. Like, we need to arrive. We need to figure it out. We need to have all the answers. Did you make it? Did, did you get it done? That temptation is strong. Is it figured out yet? We might not know our need for that wait. We might not know what we're even waiting for because we're spending so much of our effort trying to arrive. But Advent is about someone else's arrival. Advent is about Jesus coming into our space, not us making it to his. No, we didn't make it. No, we haven't figured it out. He's the Messiah, the sent one from God, the Savior. Advent is for being delivered from what it is that keeps us stuck, maybe unborn, unwaiting, unanticipating, hopeless. So let's, let's start where we are because Jesus is coming to no one but you as you are right now, where you actually are, not where you think you should be, not where you've tried to get, not where you wish you were, here, now, wherever you are, and you need to be there for Jesus to actually come into that space. That's what Advent is for, to be yourself with Jesus there with you. So let's pay attention to how we wait, to who it is that's doing the waiting right now, to the world in which we wait. What's it like for you when you're facing something that seems impossible like the Red Sea with Miriam and the Israelites? as they escaped Egyptian slavery. They, they only come to another challenge, one that's impossible, a dead end. When your back is against the sea, what happens for you? That's what I want you to consider now. I hope to help you do that. If you're one of those people who, who look where you need to go and it seems impossible, and you look back and there's no going back, if you're in that situation right now, this story's for you, and you're ready for it. If you think comparing your life to the Israelites and the Red Sea escaping from slavery is a little bit grandiose, this story's for you too. You just might not be as ready for it. But I think it might help to see ourselves as up against the wall in some way, 
At very least, we're all up against ourselves and, and, and the sin that we can see. The angel tells Joseph in Matthew, Mary, you will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from sins. Jesus is the Greek form of Joshua, which means the Lord saves. It's time to be delivered. Because the Red Sea is the birth canal of the Israelites. The song that Miriam sings is the birth song of God's deliverance. And we were singing it before. Mi chamoka, that's, that's Miriam's song in Exodus 15. Horse and rider have been thrown into the sea. Moses gets cred for it too. But Miriam, Miriam's the, the lead singer of the band. Uh, we need Miriam to sing a song of victory over our lives. What was the song? Hey, what, that was great. What a win. <laughs> God's great. Yes, it's that kind of song. We need that victory song. We need God to, to make a new way through the sea, whatever it is the sea that we're facing. We want to see ourselves in this story because we come up against this impossibility all the time. This moment at the Red Sea is the beginning of the story. Exodus is the first book in the Bible, y'all. You, you memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, but Exodus is the first story, and Genesis is the prequel. That's how, that's how they were written. And the primary story for the Israelites was, so who are you? Who are you? Oh, we are the people that God redeemed out of slavery in Egypt. And who is God? Oh, God is the one who redeemed us from slavery in Israel. This is the central event. And then the backstory comes later. That, that's the composition. Seriously. This, this text, Exodus 15, that Miriam's song is, is in, uh, the way that the Hebrew is written, we're, we're quite certain that it's, it's one of the oldest pieces of scripture. Uh, and uh, the people of Israel, if you look at how they tell their story, this is the beginning event. They're not, talk, they're not talking about God as creator all the time. I, I don't remember the, the, the number, but it's like God gets called creator in the Old Testament, I don't know, like a dozen times. He gets called deliverer, uh, rescuer, the one who brought us out of Egypt, like hundreds of times. That's the story. That's the primary story of the Israelites. And, and we want to see ourselves into that story today as well. What exodus is happening when Jesus comes into your life? When Jesus, Joshua, the Lord saves, comes to you, what is he rescuing you from? Get into it. What do you do in that wait? I don't think it has to be the right thing. The thing that comes up when I ask you that question is the right place to start. Where you are is where Jesus is. He's arriving in your moment. He's with you in whatever you are waiting for. And so how do you do that waiting? How do you wait with Miriam, the prophetess, at the banks of the Red Sea, with the Egyptian army coming after you? The Israelites reacted naturally in fear, and they cried out to the Lord, which take, and that, that, that fear takes on some common forms in the narrative. Here, here it is, Exodus 14, 11, and 12. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt, that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. 
They never said that. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. How do you wait in the face of impossibility? Do you make jokes like the Israelites? Do you ignore the seriousness of the situation and try to laugh it off? Were there no graves in Egypt? Sarcasm, that word comes from Greek and it means the tearing of flesh. Do you tear everybody up? Do you tear yourself up for a laugh? Do you rip into others to try to get out of that discomfort? How do you wait in the face of impossibility? Do you try to go back to what's comfortable, like the Israelites? Do, do you wonder if slavery is better than this? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here in the desert. That temptation to go back is strong. Will you return to that which you have already escaped? Old habits die hard, right? Doing anything new takes time and a lot of effort, and you have to keep going. Can you hold on? How do you wait in the face of impossibility? Do you assign blame like the Israelites? What have you done, Moses, to us, bringing us out of Egypt? This is terrible. I must have done something wrong. You must have done something wrong. They must have done something wrong. There has to be a reason for this suffering. It shouldn't be impossible. If I'm going down, I at least want to know why. And maybe there's some comfort in that. You try to figure out who's wrong, as if that's going to make it better. Is that how you wait? How do you wait in the, the face of impossibility? Do you shut down? Stop moving like the Israelites here in Exodus 14, 15, and 16? Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Move on. <laughs> God kind of sounds like an unsympathetic parent a little bit here. Uh, but give, him, give God a break. The people that are telling this story are pretty straightforward about it. I think it might be the most common thing to do to just stop even if there's a way being made before you. But you might not even notice it because you've already hunkered down in your bunker when things get impossible. You've numbed out. You've, you've closed your eyes. You've covered your head under the blankets, under your hands, something that you're not seeing anymore, no matter what's opening up. You're trying to maintain this unsatisfactory now for as long as possible. Because what's next, you've already decided, is surely terrible. And you and your decision create reality. And so you shut down, and you might not see what's next. But in the story, the cloud of God's presence that had been leading them out into the desert comes from in front of them and comes behind. Do you all know this story? There's this, like, this fiery pillar by night and this pillar of cloud by day that's leading them. It says in Exodus 14, 19, and 20, the pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. 
They were coming together, but they get separated. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. This strange wall of light between the, the danger and the people of God. In the movies, and even in Kim's dramatization here, it kind of all happens at once, right? Charlton Heston comes, and, you know, the, the Israelites are coming. The dust cloud is, is, is coming in, and it's, we got to go. And they run through on, on dry ground, but, like, the fish are still flopping around. You know, it, it just happened. But I, 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 upon this reading, this is the first time that I noticed this, uh, it has... Uh, when Moses stretches out his staff, the water doesn't instantly split. It's a process. It takes all night for the wind to divide the waters. And, and God keeps them safe in between an army that wants to enslave them and no way out. That sounds like our advent. That sounds like the waiting that we're doing. That night of waiting for the Red Sea to open up is like our month-long wait for Jesus. The Israelites do what Moses exhorted them in that dark night. They wait. Jesus, uh, Moses had said earlier, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Advent is for being still and trusting the Lord to fight for you, even when you're sure that something can't happen, even in that tension of, I don't know, even when you can't feel good about what's going to happen tomorrow, but somehow God's going to make a way where there's no way, and we are practicing trusting in the face of that impossibility. Your life is not a foregone conclusion. The die is not cast. The, inevit the, the inevitable is not a given. Your past will not define you. Your sin will not say who you are. Who are you? We will answer. We are the people God redeemed. Who's God? God and we will answer with Miriam and the Israelites. God is the one who redeemed us. Exodus 15, 19 through 21 here is Miriam's song. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, like they did in the purple back there, they got covered up. The Lord brought the waters out of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophet, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. And Miriam sang to them. Let's, sing, let's say this together. Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. Miriam sings to us now. We need the horses and the, the drivers to be hurled into the sea. The, the powerful ones. Egyptian, the Egyptian power was because they had horses and drivers. They had chariots. This was the technology that they had. 
that made them overpowering for a people like the Israelites. This is um, ancient stuff, but it's, it's, it's new technology at the time. The powers, whatever they are, that threaten to dominate us. It could be what's going on in your heart. could be going on what's on in your mind. But it could also be the things out there, the Egypts, the many Egypts that, that surround us. And these are not just any more uh, political entities. They're corporations. They're uh, those worm thoughts of culture that we were working on for the past few weeks before this, the things that are behind how this place we live works and kind of keeps us feeling like it's not working for us. God will bring deliverance now. God will deliver us from those horses and riders. And I hope that, you're, that something's coming to mind. What is it? that's enslaving you? What do you want to move on from? What seems impossible to get out of? That's what we're doing here. God will bring deliverance now. We're trusting that, but it's hard. We need, we need at least a month to, to practice that. So we wait in wonder at the life Jesus is living among us now. Our Savior is very near. How is he transforming your waiting now? The little bit of light that you're scratching off. The little bit of hope that you're kindling. The the new habit that's forming. How is Jesus delivering you from what pursues you? How is Jesus going to make a way through what's before you that seems impossible to go through? This story shapes our advent because Jesus has come to us and is leading us through. The New Testament writers definitely see Jesus as a new Moses. And the, the freedom from captivity and slavery that he is making a way for goes even beyond death. That's what Jesus came to do. So we'll spend the week asking the questions paying attention to our waiting. How do we wait in the face of the impossible? When our back is against the wall, and maybe, maybe you don't feel that way right now, but not too much. You might imagine your way into the story, but you might also remember when you were and, and say, what did I do? How did I trust or not? Get, your, get yourself into this story. And with those feelings, we can take them to quiet spaces of stillness. Advent is the best time for quiet, for candles. Uh, We're going to even give you a candle to take home to pray with, to practice this stillness. Because we don't know everything that's going on. We we haven't figured it all out. We we, we know that there's, there's something, but Miriam and the Israelites didn't see what was next. They were surely finished. And we feel that way sometimes, too. And we need, we need the space to find out what's coming next. I don't know. I don't know how you're going to do this, God. That's our prayer. And to make space for that instead of just shutting off that discomfort, getting away from it, taking our extra time and putting ourselves in front of a screen instead, carve out some space for a candle and some quiet. Maybe in the morning, maybe on your lunch break, Maybe it's bright outside. You light a candle anyway. 
Doesn't matter. Maybe you don't, maybe it's illegal to light a candle at your workplace. Don't light a candle. You know, just hold up your finger. Whatever. Make some space for uh, God to reveal the thing that you haven't thought of yet, the thing that you haven't experienced yet because it's brand new. That's the kind of stuff that Jesus does, and that's what He wants to do right now. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.